God bless you. Welcome to Church on the Hill. Woo! God is so good. All the time. All the time. Hallelujah. We're so glad you're here. Now, don't forget Wednesday night, tacky sweater night, or just Christmas sweater, tacky Christmas sweater night, or just wear your Christmas sweater. My wise guy, sound guy asked, was it this morning? You got to be good to your sound guys, though, you know? If not, you don't, you don't sound good. Amen? Amen. All right, Wednesday night, come out. We're just going to have some worship and some fellowship and kind of just have some fun. Amen? Amen. All right, Romans 8, Romans 8, hoping, so hoping that I'm going to get done, gun, gun, get done, uh, get her done, get her done, get her done to this morning, tonight, I want to say tonight. Uh, but man, I feel like the Lord is just leading us right into, uh, into a place of rejoicing. This morning was all about how great God is, how we're, we've been set, how we've been set free. We've been set free. Jesus loves us so much. God loves us so much that he gave. But I believe if you can grab hold of this, Romans 8, turn in your Bibles, get them out for me. Uh, we're going to read Romans 8.31. Blake, can you put that up for me? Romans 8.31 to the end of the chapter. We've been talking for the last about four or five weeks about how we can live a life of freedom, how we can live a life of expectancy, how we can, can live a life of liberty, how we can live a life of breakthrough. This morning is about breakthrough. We've been studying Romans chapter 8. And I want you to picture in your mind a mountaintop and a sense of being at the top of that mountain and the feeling that you would have. Now let's read this. Verse 31. Do you remember where we've just come from? Romans 8, 28, 28 that God does all things for good for those that love him and are called to his purpose. You remember? We've kind of been coming up the mountain, right? We started out with no condemnation. The Lord's been breaking down barriers that we have in our life to show us that we don't have to live that way. That the Lord has made a way for us. Now we start in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love which God in, G in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Could you feel it right then? Us just coming to the top of the mountain? Could you feel the ascension up to the presence of the Lord and what it looks like up there with him? Do we, do we need to read it again? I, I forgot. I, may, I need to make you stand up. You seem to pay attention better when you're standing up. Remember, we did that about four weeks ago when it went good. 
Man, don't miss it. Goodness gracious, those were shouting words. You ever heard somebody say something offensive to you and you're like, those are fighting words. Well, those are shouting words. Going up to the top of the mountain, the feeling of when we climb to the top of a mountain and picture the mountaintop in your mind and picture yourself that you've climbed all the way to the top, all the way. What do you get when you get to the top of that mountain? You know what you get? You get a view. You get a different view. Things look differently. Have you ever been in an airplane? Nothing looks the same down below. Your town, the people, the cars, everything, it doesn't look like itself. It is a complete different perspective, isn't it? Just for a moment this morning, I want to give you a time of encouragement, and we're going to go to the top of the mountain. We're going to look around. We're going to see if you can see the view. If you can't see the view, the broad view, you don't have the view that you need when you get back down in the valley. You know, God wants you to see how it's supposed to look so when you get down back in the trenches, you know how you're supposed to get through it so that you don't think that the way the valley goes and all the attacks that come and the way your mind wants to go isn't the right place. I'm about wanting to get excited. Can you see that the Lord shows us the way it's supposed to look so that when we get in a place where it's not correct, we know the difference. And we don't accept junk. Is that a good way, a good Christian church way to put it? We don't accept junk. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 31 through 39, I believe, is the peak of the mountain of the book of Romans. It's the top. From here, we're going to go back down to the valley and talk about how these truths that we just read work every day in everyday life. How they work in relationship. How they work in a family. If you don't get this, you won't have the strength to get through your time in the valley. And that's what we're talking about. It's to help put everything into perspective. And we've taken four studies of the, four looks at, the, uh, at, at Romans chapter 8. Do you remember where we started? We started with the phrase that we have, I'm no good. And then we went on to, I'm never going to change. And then we went on to, my life is falling apart. And today it's about there is no future for me. God has an answer for you. When there's no future for me, God says there is no separation. And there we can live in a life of security. How secure would you really feel if you realized you can't be separated from Christ? This morning we're going to look at five unanswerable questions. Five unanswerable questions that lead to five unshakable assurances. Paul talks about how assured we can be. We're standing on the mountaintop. We're looking around. Don't don't miss this church. You know, the church sits up here on a hill, and we've got a great perspective of our area right here. We've got the greatest sunsets. We can see see all the traffic. We can see storms coming. We can see a lot up up here on this hill. But let me tell you, as we get up here and look around, we need to receive what the Lord has for us today so that when you get into your stuff tomorrow, you have a new perspective. Number one, an unanswerable question to an unshakable assurance. Number one, God is for us. From Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and following, he says, I am for you. If you're a believer in Christ, nothing can change that. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
If that question was only the second half, if I came up to you and said, who's against you? Who's your opposition? You know you'd have a lot of answers. But you need the first part of the verse. If God is for you, who can be against you? Do you see how quickly in in perspective do we get the enemy? He goes from this to this. The problem is we get focused on who's our enemy. And God says, don't worry about the enemy. Worry about who's for you. And don't worry about who's for you. Have comfort in who's for you. If God's for you, who could be against you? God is for us. Puts it in a whole different light. If God is for us, it changes everything. And the truth is, you can put God is for me in every sentence that you say. I want you to catch this. This is kind of silly. God is for me even in the struggle I'm in. God is for me even though I'm facing something very difficult with my kids. God is for me and I want a Big Mac and a large Coke. God's for me. We don't have to dwell on the fact that God's for me only in our problems. He he may not be for you getting the Big Mac and Coke. But he's for you. Every sentence in your life could begin with, God is for me in my marriage, in my church, in my kids. God is for me in my job. There's nothing from the details to the difficulties of life that God isn't for me. You know what that means? That means that each of these mean that we can conquer fear in our life. We are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loves us. That means I can conquer my fear of opposition. God is for me. Everybody say that. Say God is for me. How does that feel? Say it again. God's for you. Yes, I'm going to face opposition in my life. I'm going to face people who are against me. I'm going to face Satan who is against me. But I can conquer my fear of opposition. How bad would it be if our opposition caused us not to war for victory in Christ? That's where Satan tries to get you so scared that you won't even fight. If you won't fight, you won't win. If you don't take your your five boys out on the basketball team against the best teams in the state, you have no chance of winning. If you take them out there and you have worked hard and you have sought the Lord, and I'm making an analogy, put this into your life, into your marriage, into your kids, into your job. If you will prepare, walk in with God, if God is for you, you will get through it. If you don't show up and stay in the bed and woe is me, you won't. God is trying to get you on the playing field and with the perspective of God is with you. How could you lose? Somebody needs the light bulb to go off. You are having such a hard time dealing with depression, dealing with attack, not wanting to move forward, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, whether it's your church, wherever. I want you to know God is for you. 
And he has equipped you to be victorious. Pastor, I've never been victorious in my life. Well, let me tell you, you've got a great day coming. Because that's part of your, that's part of your inheritance. You share in the inheritance of Christ. I'm getting off page, and I don't have time to get off page, but doggone it, somebody get it. We are more than conquerors. And I don't care what faces me. Warning, God is for me. Let me tell you, when you walk into your job, this isn't something you throw in your boss's face. No, 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 no. You use what you've been given to help your boss. You, you forward your boss. You, you better him, and the tide will rise with you. You better your spouse, and the tide will rise with you. Warning. God is for me. Say it, say it yourself, warning, God is for me. The battle's up here. Somebody get it. I'll move on. Okay. God's for you. Lord, are you not letting me leave from that? Don't forget it. I can conquer my fear of opposition. What is opposing you? There will be opposition. But if God is for you, the opposition will not win. You know what? Sometimes it may seem that they, it succeeds for a moment. But we're not talking about a moment. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about a marathon, not a sprint. What else? What other unshakable assurance do we see here in Romans chapter 8? God is for us. God will give to us. He wants to give to you. And you know what? Paul argues from the greater to the lesser. But so many times when we argue, we argue about the little so we can expect for the great. But he goes just the opposite. He says, if this great thing is true, then the lesser thing must be true. What do you mean, pastor? He says... He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all, how will he not also along with him freely give to us graciously all things? If God gave his son, won't he give you everything that you need? If he was so gracious in giving the ultimate sacrifice, won't he also make provision for you? Hallelujah. Amen. The Greek word from here who says, he who gave him up, is the same word, and I'm going to try to pronounce this, paradidomai, is translated as Judas betraying Jesus, he who gave him up. But I want you to hear this, the same word is translated betrayal in some other places in the Bible. Yet it really, now catch this, it really, because this is the time of, of Christmas, it really wasn't Judas who gave him up to be crucified. It wasn't even the Roman authorities who gave him up to be crucified. Why? Because they don't have the power. Judas didn't have the power. Satan doesn't have the power. The Roman authorities didn't have the power. Who gave him up? God. That gives me chill bones. We want to look at it and see it as though this horrible thing happened. No, it didn't. This great thing happened. 
that, Je- that God gave his son Jesus. Now get me right, it was not great in any sense for, the, for our Lord and Savior to die. But the plan was perfect. It was our only way. You know what happened when Jesus died? Jesus made the way for us to be able to have a way back to the Father. His blood spilt and poured out for all mankind to have the opportunity to live a life forgiven. To have a price paid. So much happened with that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't Judas. Judas didn't have the power. The Roman authorities didn't have the power. God had the power. And God gave. And Paul said, if he did that, wouldn't he give us the other things that we need? Not selfishly, but in a way that he glorifies himself. Somehow God can give to us, and when he gives to us, he glorifies himself. I love that. Glorify yourself, God, and give to me. It's what he desires, so why not? That's not selfish. Glorify yourself, Lord. John Stott said this, that the cross is a guarantee of the continuing, unfailing generosity of God. He is a generous God. So I can fear, I can fear my sense of opposition. I can fear my sense of provision. God keeps in mind even the little birds. Won't he think of you? He gave his son for you. I don't need to fear provision. That somehow God's not going to provide. You know, and we look at the promises of God and they're so clear. And they're sealed with Christ. And I trust these promises that God will give to us. We don't have to fear the sense of provision. What, what's another unshakable assurance? God will forgive us. Remember when God forgives us, it doesn't say that sin doesn't matter. It says that it matters enough for Christ to have given his life for it. That's how much it matters. The word that sealed our forgiveness is found in this verse when he talks about it. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. We study this word justify through all the book of Romans. And do you see how Romans 8 has built toward this point? God will justify us. God will forgive us. There are things in your life that you may be terrified of, that you may be embarrassed by, that someday maybe someone will find out, or this thought, or this thing. Can I, can I encourage you? God already knows. What a freedom to know he knows our darkest secrets. Pastor, that's not a freedom. Yes, it is a freedom. He already knows, so why not ask forgiveness of it and come clean of it? Why not not live in darkness and live in light? Don't live in darkness. God already knows. And he's the one who brought the gavel down and said, not guilty. Maybe you're here this morning and you're waiting for that loud gavel bang of not guilty. Who can bring the charge against God's elect? You know what I can conquer in my fear here? We've seen opposition. We've seen provision. I can conquer the fear of accusation. 
Have you got people saying, doing this against you? Let me tell you, warning. Warning. God is for me. God is for you. God is for you. Can I encourage you? I, I like saying that. Can I encourage you? This, was, this, is not, this is not aimed anywhere. This is where I have been planning for the last probably 12 weeks. I, I promise you I've not changed. I've not changed it at all. This is, I believe this is the Lord at this time right now. I believe you're walking through something right here, and it's time for you to walk into it knowing you've got God on your side. And again, the kingdom is not shaking. The earth's going to shake. And you know what? The things that come loose need to come loose. We get our feet planted in the rock. We get our feet planted in the word and the Holy Spirit. We get our feet planted in the church. Jesus is coming back for the church. Jesus is coming back for you. And God is for you. Struggling in your business, you need to walk into it a little with a different perspective. What's the Lord saying to you? What does the word of God say to you? How do you walk righteously in your work? How do you give glory to God in your work? I'm telling you, God will move. Woohoo! All right. No fear against accusation. God's the one who justifies. Number four. Man, I'm doing good, kind of. Number four. God will not condemn us. I've already said this, but we're going to hit this again. It says it here in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. It says in this chapter, who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God. He's also interceding for us. Who can condemn us? You remember Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, he condemned sin in sinful man. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why do we go back into this? I think that God realizes we are going to struggle with this. Wanting to condemn ourselves. Wanting to put guilt on ourselves, even though Jesus has paid the price, we want to walk defeated. And he's saying here again, God does not bring the condemnation. He has brought condemnation to sin. Now don't get confused, condemnation and conviction. God brings conviction to help clean you out of your sin. But once you've, been, once you've asked forgiveness and come to the cross and ask for true repentance, there is no more guilt coming from the kingdom of God about your sin. That's Satan trying to get you to hang on to it for your whole life so you can, you can be worthless. We played a game last night called Apples to Apples and one of the words was worthless. And it was hard to find anything that was worthless. Had zero worth. But when you allow sin to grip you, you become worthless for the kingdom. When you let sin grip you in your marriage, you become worthless in your marriage. You need to get free. I'm gonna go, we're going to come right back to where we've come every single week. The key is repentance. What did Jesus Christ preach? What did John the Baptist preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Amen. No condemnation. I want you to catch this. No condemnation based on what? Got to hurry. Jesus died for you. 
No condemnation based on the fact that Jesus lives for you. That Jesus, catch this, sits at the right hand of God for you. Do you know that there is someone sitting next to God the Father talking about you? How many of you would like the vice president of your corporation talking to the president about how great you are? Can you imagine? Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father talking about how great you are. Pastor, I've never had anyone talk about how great I am. Jesus Christ is. What about that? That's who's for me. But that's not it. Jesus Christ is praying for you. It says that he is making intercession for you. What is he saying? He sees the things you're walking through. He sees it coming. And he's saying, Father, help them right there. I can see this coming. Close the door on sin in their life right there. We walk into a struggle. Don't forget. Have you ever seen a child walk into a struggle and a child walk in with their daddy with that struggle? They walk in in their struggle, they're like this. They walk in with their daddy, they're like, uh-uh, we ain't getting out of here, hurt. We're going to be in good shape. My daddy's bigger than your daddy. My daddy can beat up your daddy. That sounds so childish. That's godly. That's appropriate. Don't, don't, don't miss me here. My daddy can beat anything that I could ever face. Ever. Not, not even close. Y'all remember the, the, the guys that talked about Mike Didka and how if Mike Didka against the world it would be 135 to zero? Well, it would be God and nothing. No, no fight. No fight. What are you facing? You walk into it correctly, there is no opposition. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. He died for me. He lives for me. He sits at right, God's right hand for me. And he's praying for me. And you know what? I know the things you're walking through is serious. I know some of the things you're struggling with is really tough. You may be sitting there today and saying, I've been unfaithful to my wife. Maybe it was five years ago. Maybe it was ten. And no one knows how I struggle with this sense of condemnation. Maybe you'd say, you don't know how I've treated my kids. You don't know how I've treated. You don't know, how, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things I've looked at. You don't know the things that I've walked through. You don't know the thoughts that I've had. You don't know the places that I've been. I want you to, I want you to if you will ask for forgiveness... Look at these four things you have to, to stand with. Jesus died for you. Jesus lives for you. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father for you. And Jesus is making intercession for you. It says that he knew we, that we're already sinful. He died for us that was already sinful. He has paid the price for your sin. It's time to receive it. But I want you to know no condemnation does not mean no consequences. 
There are consequences for our sin. And you know what? Sometimes those consequences are for the rest of our life. But God does not want us to live in condemnation for the rest of our life. Have you ever just thought, shouldn't condemnation go along with my sin? Absolutely not. It should not. A condemned man is still in prison. How can you be set free from your sins, from the pattern of sin in your life, until you recognize no condemnation for those who are in Christ? I may have to live with some consequences, but God's judgment is already taken care of. Isn't that good news? Finally. I don't have to live in fear of condemnation, but finally. God will not leave us. Romans 8 verse 35 says this. Read with me if you don't mind. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, danger or sword? It is written for your sakes that we face death all day long. We face death all day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will not leave us. He will not leave us. When Paul says, I am convinced, this tense of these words is important. The way that these words are put together indicate, indicate him saying, I have, been, I have been convinced and I will remain convinced. It's settled. It is the perfect tense here in the Greek language. It has been settled once and for all. And it's never going to change. There was a time in my life that, this, that I was convinced of this. And I'm not going to change. He will not leave me. Has that ever happened in your life? It's happened in my life. God won't leave us no matter what the suffering, no matter what the struggle. Last week we reminded ourselves that since Jesus Christ proved his love for us by his suffering, how could our suffering possibly separate us from the love of God? We're not guaranteed immunity. We're not guaranteed being free of tribulation or struggles. He talks about them here. He talks about famine and nakedness and peril and danger and sword. We're not guaranteed immunity. We're guaranteed victory. We're not promised that troubles won't afflict us. But we're promised that troubles won't separate us from Christ. He knew that each of these enemies would threaten to separate him Paul knew that they would try to separate him from Christ. And in the end, you know what happened? It only drew him nearer to Christ. The sufferings that he went through. Suffering cannot separate us. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. It's a great picture as I close. There's a great picture of Acts, in Acts 12 when Simon Peter was in jail. He's thinking he's going to get killed the next day. He's laying in jail, and the Bible says that he's laying between two Roman guards, chained to each of them. Now, the Bible says we're more than conquerors. I think if you were a conqueror in that situation, you might sit up and say, I'm determined to die for Christ. I don't care what happens. 
I will die for Christ tomorrow. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to call to Caesar or anybody else, Lord. I will die for you, Jesus. But Peter was more than a conqueror. You know what he was doing when he was laying between those two guards? He was asleep. (laughs) You think you could sleep the day before you're about to be executed? Peter was sleeping. The night before he was to be executed, there he is sleeping. And you know, that flies in the face of all that was supposed to happen to him, that he could rest in God's presence in the midst of that circumstance. Right now, you may be laying between two guards. You may be chained to both of them, and they're pulling you apart. And you're asking yourself, what am I supposed to find in the midst of this? What what you're supposed to find is this. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care who does what to you or says what to you. Nothing. Nothing. And warning, God's for me. Can you go out of here saying that? Warning, what's coming against me is in opposition of God. The opposition doesn't realize who's in my camp. I don't really care if they realize it or not. He's there. My daddy's bigger than your daddy. Addiction, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. Struggles with provision with your job, with breakthrough in your, in your pay, in your bills, in your marriage. Warning, God is for me. God is for me. Nothing can separate us. Here's my encouragement for you for next week. Let me tell you, it's Christmas week. Spend some time on the mountaintop and get perspective of how things are supposed to be. Get back in Romans chapter 8 and let that fill you up as you step out of your house to realize how life is supposed to be. Many things will waver, but God's word will not. Many things will waver, but God's kingdom will not. In the beginning of your week, read over those verses and remember these five promises. God's for you. God will give to you. God will forgive you. It's time for breakthrough. It's time for breakthrough. Will you all stand up with me? Let's just pray together. As we open up the altar, those that are ministering, y'all come on down. I just want you to know right now, God is for you. And can I tell you, as you you struggle with stepping out to be prayed for, I want you to know these people down here are full of the Holy Spirit. They are full of the Word, and they are ready to pray according to God's Word for your life. What breakthrough do you need? Let us pray with you this morning. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, get out of your seat and walk down here. Is your life falling apart? Get down here and let us pray with you. What are you waiting for? God is for you. Step out. Let's have some victory. Amen.